This week is all about Super Bowl 55 between the defending champion Chiefs and the Buccaneers, between Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. And today, ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes is here to help us kick off our coverage of the momentous matchup. We'll discuss Mina's plans to be on site with the rest of the NFL Live crew beginning Thursday, and of course, we'll utilize her new age analytical approach to get you up to speed on the game. I'm Sports Business Journal's Andrew Levin, reporting at the outset of a Super Bowl week like no other on today's SBJ Unpacks. Serious football analysis and some silly Super Bowl fun. And I know our guest here today on the podcast is fluent in them both. I now bring in ESPN's Mina Kimes, who we've tapped to launch our Super Bowl 55 coverage here on SBJ Unpacks. Mina, certainly hope all is well on your end. Also hope things are going well for Lenny. Yeah, things are good. We're just gearing up for Tampa. It's going to be one of the stranger Super Bowls I've ever been to. I know the NFL Live crew will be in St. Petersburg to broadcast beginning on Thursday. How many times this season have you been able to sit side by side with your colleagues? Just a couple times. Uh, Once earlier in the season, sort of towards the end actually, and then we did a mega cast for the wild card round, the game that ESPN had uh, Titans Ravens. Uh, we socially distanced and uh, did our commentary in studio, which was a ton of fun. So what has it been like then this season, building chemistry and growing as a new NFL analyst while doing the vast majority of your work remotely? You know, we were really fortunate in some ways that our show launched in August because by then everyone who works on our show had already been doing remote television for months. Um, for me, that was highly questionable and around the horn primarily, although I do a little bit of first take and sports center. And, you know, I can tell you when, when we first started doing that on the shows that I was working on in April, it was really challenging setting aside chemistry and delays, just literally getting on air was a challenge. Um, doing IT and makeup at home and all of that. So by the time August rolled around, all of us, Laura, Dan, Marcus, Ryan Clark, Keisha, we, we all knew how to do it. Um, that said, you know, it, it would be nice. It, it would have been a lot easier to start in studio, but we were kind of friends before we launched. So that helped as well. And then I just, I think just, I can't stress enough what a great host Laura Rutledge is. And, and I think, She's a great host in any circumstance, but making remote television, we all lean on the host more than ever before. Um, They are juggling so many responsibilities, and she's done a fabulous job of facilitating and navigating a difficult situation. How do you go about preparing for a typical NFL live broadcast? For example, Mina, as you prepare for the Super Bowl broadcasts coming up in Tampa. So... Typically, we are communicating on Sundays. So I, I, I'm on the show Mondays, Tuesdays, and Fridays this during the regular season this year. And we're texting all weekend and, and especially on Sundays about what we're seeing, what's going on, what's interesting, what games we want to talk about. And then the morning of every show, we have we each individually have calls with producers to kind of talk about the games we've settled on or the topics of the day. And then we have a production call that's really important in the morning with all of the producers and all of the talent. And we 
give our preliminary thoughts and opinions so that, and again, this is especially important when it's remote, Mm -hmm. we can almost, it's live television, but we have a sense of what everyone wants to bring to the table. And the benefit of that is not only that we're not, you know, just repeating each other, but we all can make sure that we have the time and space and that Laura is setting us up to have the most interesting conversations. Um, you know, I, I'm on a bunch of different shows at ESPN and everyone takes a different approach, but I think for our show, because it's live and remote and we have, you know, a number of people on the show, it's really important. Production plays such a big role in making the show appear seamless. You live on the West coast. How will your schedule change once we make it through this time? Man, I don't even know. Like, it's so it's so hard <laughs> to think about that, right? I mean, the original plan was I was going to travel actually every week. And at some point, I imagine I'll be traveling quite a bit more. Uh, and when I do, because it's the NFL, you know, I can't travel on Sundays. So it'll have to be Saturday or Saturday night because I have to watch all the games on Sunday. So at some point, I will incorporate that into my schedule. But I, I will say, and this goes beyond NFL Live, this is true of everything we do at ESPN what started as an inconvenience, I think has become, I wouldn't say it's been a benefit for us to do all of this remotely, but we've taught ourselves a lot. And I think shown ourselves and shown our audience that we can still make really great television when we're in different cities. Um, You know, I've been on Around the Horn. That was my first television regular gig at ESPN for a while now. And that is a remote show and it's a fantastic show. And I think we've seen other shows sort of learn similar lessons and we've become more nimble as a company because of everything that's happening. Obviously another significant part of the work that you're doing for the net is your podcast. What do you enjoy most about that work? Do you prefer it to TV because there are less limitations? I know I certainly feel that way about doing my own podcast. Like here we can just sit and have a conversation where perhaps on television, you might feel a little bit more boxed in by time. I like the mix, honestly, because you're right. It's a different skill set. We have different kinds of conversations about football. There's more room Um, to explore ideas. But also I think television, the visual element of it is it's, it's a huge part of, I think, how do I put this? There's a craft that goes into it. We're not just doing analysis and delivering, you know, our opinions. We're also performing those opinions. We want them to be entertaining. People don't want to turn on the TV and see four or five people who are dryly (laughs) saying, here's what happened. And, you know, they were in Tampa too. And Patrick Mahomes saw the the gap. No, like they, they want to watch people who are engaged and passionate and having fun. And I like that side of doing television. So, you know, I, I enjoy the diversity of platform, but I also benefit from it because a lot of my ideas for my podcast come from NFL Live and a lot of my ideas for NFL Live come from doing my podcast. Um, my preparation, it sort of dovetails, not in a repetitive way, but I'll hear someone say something on NFL Live and then I'll bring it up to a podcast guest and get their take on it. And I think that's one of the benefits of doing multiple things is using them to sort of workshop different ideas with different people. 
Do you prefer the football focus over ESPN daily? <laughs> I mean, obviously you handed the reins over to your good friend and what p- part-time nemesis Pablo Torre. Yes. Was the change more Favre to Rogers or Marino to Fiedler? <laughs> um, oh gosh. I, I'm I'm well, it's Favre and Rogers. I, I like the the talent implication, but we're we're friends. It's quite was quite friendly, so I don't wanna make that jump, but um I will say, you know, one Pablo's done a fantastic job hosting that podcast. Um, and it's really sustained a level of quality over the first year and a half of existence that's pretty rare with new products in our industry. But I, I also would, you know, concede that I, I love focusing on football full time. Um, football's always been my main passion ever since I came to ESPN. I came to ESPN in the first place because someone at the company, an editor, identified my love of football, even though I was a financial journalist. So getting the opportunity to focus it on focus on football full-time, not just in terms of the output, what you see, but behind the scenes that I can spend hours of the day studying and learning, it's been a real blessing and I couldn't ask for more. Working our way now into some game analysis here with ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes. What do you believe the Brady v. Mahomes matchup means for the NFL's brand? I think the NFL is really lucky (laughs) from a business perspective that we ended up with these two quarterbacks. I mean, uh, you talked about kind of transitions. Look, Brady and Mahomes obviously are not in the same team, so it's not the same kind of transition. But in terms of like the face of the league, you know, I I think the NFL could not have been luckier to have – the the goat and the baby goat and then to the baby goat play i love in, that yeah and then the kid <laughs> and then to have them play in the same game good grief i mean it's such a spectacular um matchup for football fans just the offense and the quarterbacking that'll be on display um you know i think i i, I just ranted about this on um highly questionable this morning so it'd be hypocritical of me to deny the fact that it sometimes bothers me that we do position it as a quarterback matchup. Like quarterbacks don't play each other. They play defenses. And uh, sometimes I feel like the defenses are ignored. And this is also a really good, I mean, particularly the defensive coordinators, uh, Steve Spagnuolo and Todd Bowles have done such a fabulous job in the postseason, And I think are in many ways responsible for their team's wins. Um, so I'm really looking forward to breaking down that side of the game and what they can both individually do to try to stop um, Mahomes and Brady. I think in the case of Bulls, it's a, it's a very challenging uh, <laughs> a job, but um, yeah, I, it's one that I'm really excited to watch. If Brady goes on to win Sunday, how do you contextualize his run through Breeze, Rogers, and Mahomes? And hey, Mina, let's not forget Heineke, right? I know you've been yes. big on the Heineke high <laughs> as well. Given all the circumstances, pandemic included, would that mark the most impressive Super Bowl run ever? Uh, hmm. I actually don't think it would because Tom Brady's team is so good. I think like some of his most impressive seasons have been when he's been surrounded by less talent, candidly. But, um, you know, as a whole, his career is unparalleled. And to win a seventh ring, I mean, it'll be very as I think Patrick Mahomes is the most talented player I've ever seen, frankly. But because it's so difficult for teams to reach the Super Bowl and, you know, in a salary cap era to sustain that level, that kind of success, what Brady has accomplished cannot be denied. Is this Brady thing ever going to end Mina? Uh, You know, (laughs) it's, 
Mm, I I think maybe <laughs> next year would be my guess. I mean, the guy clearly, I, I will say this watching him. He doesn't like getting hit anymore. So at some point he's going to get tired of that. Is that what you've noticed most about how his game has changed this year or since he's moved to the box? You know, it's interesting. His game actually hasn't changed that much. I mean, he his average depth of target has increased a lot, which is a kind of foregone conclusion in a Bruce Arians offense. But um, his skill set is pretty similar to what we saw last year, which was the arm is fine. It's really, at times, Brady's performance under pressure that's been an issue. But in Tampa, he has an offensive line that's been one of the better units in the league, certainly the better in this matchup. Uh, and then, of course, is surrounded by weapons. What's going on with Mike Evans this season? Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I went back actually and watched Week Twelve last night, uh, the last time they played, and Brady and Evans. There's been various points in the season, and you saw it at a few moments in the last game where they're—I wouldn't say just that their chemistry has been off, but they've kind of been on two different pages with regards to play calling and. As they've come, as Brady, I think the offense has sort of evolved more in Brady's image as the season has gone on. Mike Evans also has become a better wide receiver for Tom Brady. But just at a sheer talent level, I mean, the size, the physicality, the speed, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. You mentioned it there just a moment ago, Mina, and I agree with you. To me, Patrick Mahomes' game right now, it's as close to flawless quarterback play as I've certainly ever seen. How can he get better? And what a scary thought is that? <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty scary. I One of the things that's so spe- special about Patrick, and I thought was the contrast between him and Josh Allen, who was obviously an excellent season in the AFC Championship, is we rave a lot about Mahomes' arm and his ability to extend plays um, and his mobility, but he's also a very, very sophisticated processor. And I think you, in, in, in that game in particular, you kind of saw the gap between him and Allen, who's still developing in that regard. He's a very, you know, an excellent quarterback, but Mahomes is already next level intellectually on the field as well. I would say at times... You can see him drifting a little bit in the pocket and maybe trying to make plays happen when they shouldn't. But honestly, it, it's pretty rare. It, it's really, really hard to find flaws in his game. I would When he's hurt, that's his flaw. When he's hurt, he struggles a bit. <laughs> you said it there before, and I know we've got two great football teams here. I don't just want to talk about the quarterback. So what are some of those other matchups that you're keeping your eye on currently as you study for the upcoming week of programming or just matchups that you think will have a significant impact on Sunday? Well, I think probably the key matchup in this game and the Bucks' best chance of will- winning and pulling off the upset is their pass rush against the Chiefs' offensive line, in particular the edge rushers, uh, Shaq Barrett and JPP, uh, against a line that's lost both starting tackles and they lost Eric Fisher uh, last week in the AFC Championship. So it's something that the Bucks front seven can potentially exploit. They also got Vita Vea back at, in the middle, combined with... And Dominican Sue, they should be able to get pressure with a standard rush. You can't really blitz Mahomes. And then they can devote more resources to coverage. And I think 
if they want any chance of stopping him or at least stopping him on a few drives or in the red zone, that's going to be the matchup that they need to exploit because it's one that they should be able to. Isn't that just crazy about the Chiefs that we now talk about other teams beating them in terms of how many stops they can make against Mahomes every game? It really is. And I think the red zone is obviously it's important always, but you saw in the Packers game in the NFC championship, it was so important for Tampa because the Packers had the best red zone offense in the NFL coming into that game and struggled greatly at the goal line. And it's a credit to Todd Bowles and his unit. And it's going to be just enormous in this game. And, and going back again and watching in week 12, you saw in the second half, uh, the Bucks did have a lot of success there and they did adjust their approach as the game went on, stop playing man, stop singling up Tyree kill with Carlton Davis. And um, the game got closer as a result. What do you believe the final score on Sunday will be and why? Uh, I haven't exactly settled on a final number yet, but right now I'd say Chiefs 31, Tampa 27, uh, which I think is covering at the moment. And I just think the Chiefs offense is playing at another level and the Chiefs secondary, which I didn't mention, uh, is also really improved their play as the season has gone on. Okay, Mina, so if it's cool with you, I think I'd like to just call this next section Mina's favorite. So feel free to go historical here or fictional, perhaps something you'd love to see one day. That said, what is your favorite Super Bowl matchup ever? How about you give us one involving the Seahawks and perhaps another that doesn't? Well, the Seahawks win (laughs) against Denver, of course. But the one that doesn't, I mean, so for me, I'll just speak to my own experience of covering Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. Uh, New England, Philadelphia was just such a fabulous game and such an incredible memory because I was in the end zone where Philly special happened and it was just, it was electric. So that was, that's a great one for me. It was a great game. And then just being there in person, seeing it happen, seeing Foles leak out is something I'll never forget. What else do you remember about that moment? Just uh, me desperately trying not to scream in the press box. (laughs) (laughs) How about your favorite Super Bowl venue? You know, I have to say the the new stadium in Minneapolis was pretty nice. I remember being surprised by it because it was absolutely freezing cold that year. And it's really pleasant inside. Uh, It was like a very temperate 60 degrees. And it was really beautiful, too, with the glass. And so I liked that one a lot. I feel like that's probably not the right answer, but just in terms of like historic NFL stadiums, but just again, speaking from personal experience, that was, that was nice. What about Super Bowl announcers? That's another interesting one because I'm usually there. So, or, you know, lately as of late, I've been there. So I can't, I I'm going to skip that one because I actually don't. And then when I watch the game later, I'm usually watching the all 22. So I don't actually watch the broadcast. So I usually read about people's opinions on Twitter without knowing how it's going. Is a role in the booth, something you'd ever consider? Certainly not in the near future. I'll say that because it's really (laughs) difficult. And I work with a lot of people who are a lot better at it. Fair enough. So if you were thinking about favorite Super Bowl singers for the national anthem, is there one performance that sticks out? See, when did Jennifer Hudson do it? I remember thinking she could she could really wail. Do you have a favorite halftime show? I the Beyonce one was really great. I thought the Beyonce one was great too. And then I would just say a special place in my heart for Prince, right? Purple Rain with the rain yeah. coming down in Miami. Pretty special moment. For sure. 
Uh, how about some Super Bowl ads that really stick out to you? I know you've been there in the past, but certainly yeah. growing up, I know how much you've loved football. Which ones have stuck out to you? <laughs> um, golly. The Pepsi ones. When I was a kid, I remember being very struck by those. I kind of like those M&M ones over the last decade or so, too. The talking M&Ms? Yeah. <laughs> stupid. <laughs> no, come on. Candy's never stupid. Mina, if it's okay with you, do you have time for one or two quick hitters before I get you out of here? I know we've got just one or two more minutes sure. here today. Awesome. So in that case, could you just tell us which franchises, in your opinion, nailed the hiring cycle this go around? And then who didn't do as well? Well, I'm, I'm really a big fan of the staff they're putting, they put together in New York uh, and Atlanta. I think both of those it's it, it, teams, really, not just the head coaches, Robert Sala and Arthur Smith, but the coaches, you know, Robert Sala bringing Mike LaFleur with him from San Francisco and then some of the assistants he hired there. And then Arthur Smith convincing Dean Pease to come out of retirement. And then again, some of the assistants they hired in there were really fantastic. I, I, I'm always hesitant to give grades or evals to coaching hires because I really think we just never know candidly in with the NFL. Um, all we can do is judge based on past performance, but the way teams are put together, you never know who's really calling the shots. I mean, aside from play calling, you never know what kind of dynamic exists between coaches and players, but purely based on play calling and reputation. I liked those hires a lot. Um, and then as far as ones, I, I I'm didn't like, I, I was a little bit confused by Houston, but I'd say I'm confused by everything Houston is doing these days. And they're in an unenviable position, the new, the new people, not the organization. So um, I don't want to give, you know, I, I don't want to be too hard on it. You hear great things about David Culley, but it's a tough spot he's in there. The Deshaun Watson situation to me is really interesting because, I mean, he could pretty much go wherever he wants to now. What do you make of an NFL player wielding that sort of power? Because that is rare for the sport, no? It's rare, but I don't think it's a slippery slope because in order to wield that kind of power, you have to have the willingness and the resources, but especially the willingness to hold out. And that is very uncommon in football because of how short careers are and the financial implications. You know, I, I, I think it's very telling that with Watson, this wasn't a rumor that had been percolating for a long time. It wasn't like after they traded DeAndre Hopkins you know, which was obviously a mistake that he wasn't seeding whispers or his people or camp or whatever that he wanted to leave. This was, this came after many missteps and many mistakes by the organization. And so I, I, I don't see this sort of situation occurring across the NFL. There's a reason why it's so rare. What do you believe the outcome there will be? I think based on all accounts we've heard, he is determined to leave. And so he does wield some influence over the destination because of the no trade clause. And the reports are that he likes Miami, which also makes sense for Houston potentially because of the draft capital they have and possibly trading to a Tango Bailoa as well. To finish, Mina, I'd imagine that a lot of women have reached out to you about breaking into this field, especially now that they've seen someone like yourself excel at it. 
What are your thoughts on the prevalence of women and minorities in football? Um, well, there's football and then football media, right? Uh, so I think it's really cool with within the league to look at some of these staffs, especially Tampa Bay, the staff that Bruce Arians has put together. It's very diverse, both in terms of race and gender. And I love, he speaks so eloquently about the advantages that affords him um, and what great teachers he's, they've been uh, his hires. So I think that's extremely cool, a uh, long way to go, but we've seen a lot of progress within the sport just over the last five years in the football media. Um, I would say we're in a similar spot where it, it has become more diverse and you are seeing more women in, in new roles as analysts and hosts and on radio, but we're still, it's still pretty rare, relatively speaking. Um, and so I think it's incumbent on not just women in the field, but everyone in the field to not just be accepting of talent, but also, you know, to reach out to people or to, to underrepresented groups rather and off, you know, and I suggest you know, football or sports media for them, because I, I can only speak from experience, but it wasn't something I pursued. It was something that ESPN brought to me. And if they didn't, well, um, I'd be covering GameStop right now. <laughs> <laughs> Mina, do you have a dream position in football or do you already feel that you're sort of living that? I'm definitely uh, living it right now. This is exactly where I want to be. And I feel really lucky to be doing it. ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes. Mina, thanks so much for taking the time to do this here today on SBJ Unpacks. Certainly hope you have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your Super Bowl week. You too.